Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel on the show as always, and it's a Friday. Uh, spring football, Eric, is underway. The Ducks have had one practice, which was April 1st. They will conclude. Uh, they will have conclude the week with another practice on Saturday, at some point, probably in the early morning, late after, uh, late morning, or excuse me, late after, late morning. Early afternoon. There we go. Really hard to say that for some reason this morning. Uh, we got a lot of news with Mario Cristobal post-practice media availability on Thursday. And most notably, it's an update on a bunch of guys, his health status. There's a lot of guys back on the field who maybe end of the year injured. There are some new names, some big names that aren't on the field because of injuries. Uh, There are some guys rehabbing still and getting close. Uh, And then there are a couple of guys that that have had to medically retire as well. And we're going to start there because Mario Cristobal announced that senior linebacker Samson New, uh, a a former four-star recruit, a guy that had four starts under his belt during the 2018 season, He had played 33 games for the Ducks in his first three years, all 14 in 2019 as one of the top backup linebackers. He sat out the 2020 season for some off-field personal issues. uh, or I don't even know if they're issues. Off-field, that's that's unfair. Um, Off-field stuff in his life, personal stuff that was going on. Um, Cristobal said they were giving him any, anything he needed as much time as he needed. He had some more important things going on in his life than football. Um, and so uh, I, I apologize. It's not issues. Um, he is, he is medically retired from, from the football team. Uh, he will not be on this team. He was going to be a super senior in 2021. Other news from Mario Cristobal, um, Chris Randazzo, a sophomore offensive lineman, uh, he has also medically retired. He sat out the 2020 football season due to COVID protocols. Uh, he opted out for the season due to COVID. Um, he played in one game in 2019. He redshirted with the Ducks in 2018. Uh, huge offensive lineman, six foot seven, like 360 pound, three star guy coming out of Chino, Chino California. And then probably, Eric, the, the biggest one is uh, Jonah Tuanu, four-star offensive lineman from the 2019 recruiting class. He redshirted during the 2019 season, played in three games for the Ducks. He did not play any games in 2020. Uh, he was, quite honestly, nowhere present. Uh, he suffered a, an injury in fall camp. And it was hopeful that he would be back. And then ultimately he never got back and now he has retired uh, from football. And this is a big blow because he is the third highest rated offensive line recruit in program history. And when Oregon signed him out of Harbor city, California at Narborn high school in the, the Los Angeles area, he was kind of being thought of as, hey, this is Penny Sewell's replacement. This is going to be the guy that when Penny Sewell moves on after the 2020 football season, 
Jonah would step into his his spot and, and be ready to, to roll as the next left tackle at Oregon. Yeah, I mean, all th- you know, all, both Samson and Jonah are two guys I think we held in pretty high esteem in terms of what they could do on the field, uh, or the, at least the upside of what they could do. I think Rendazzo was more of somebody we had. We didn't have quite as much clarity. Was didn't come right. in with with quite as much um, expectations, I guess. And I mean, Samson lived up to them too. I think back to that 2019 season and the first two or three games, he was making big plays, forcing fumbles. I think he had the team's first sack against Auburn. Um, might have had an interception in those games too, but just somebody who who made a lot of plays and, and was certainly not, you know, an afterthought player. I mean, he was kind of in consideration with Isaac Slade for that spot next to Troy Dye that season. Uh, Slade Matautia ends up winning the job and, and new doesn't go quietly in terms of he played quite a bit that season. It was pretty instrumental in some of some of their success that year, a really, really good uh, linebacker. And, and as Matt said and suggested, there's some kind of stuff he's having to deal with from a family perspective that is t- difficult and clearly playing football is kind of something he can't continue doing. And that stinks. Um, and, and, you know, I think with Jonah, as Matt said, the, the third best offensive line recruit Oregon's ever signed. Um, this is not an afterthought recruit. This is, and, and, and the 26th best recruit Oregon has signed regardless of position. I mean, this is one of the all-time top recruits that the Ducks have landed and in a recent cycle with the hope that he was going to, as Matt said, become, if not Penny Sewell's replacement, at least a two or three to four year starter at, you know, somewhere on the offensive line that left or right tackle probably. Um, and his career never got going. He never got through the injuries. Um, and, you know, I mentioned it to Matt before the podcast, you know, Jonah's 26 on the all-time recruiting list. Number 27 is, is Curtis White, a tight end from Sheldon high school. And these guys, careers are, I mean, obviously they don't play the same position, but kind of similar in terms of they come in as these big time recruits. And Curtis White was 2010 out of Sheldon High School, a Eugene kid, and came in with a ton of expectations. I mean, still one of the highest rated, most highly regarded tight end recruits Oregon's ever landed. And injuries completely sidetracked Curtis White's career. He never got it going. He never made an impact on the field. And it's kind of the same thing with Jonah. Um, you know, somebody that I think we had thought when Oregon lost all those starters after 2019, you think about all the, the highly high end guys they lost. And then Penny Sewell, you know, is, is, is also a late scratch because he opts out due to COVID. And it kind of felt like, okay, Jonah's at least going to be in the two deep or in the rotation. Right. He's, he's going to be somebody that matters this season. You know, best case, maybe he, you know, I think we talked about it. I'm sure last fall, if you went back and listened to our podcast, I'm sure we were saying, you know, maybe best case is Jonah's at, at one of the tactical spots and Steven Jones is at the other. And these are these two dynamic, highly regarded recruits that replace, you know, Penny Sewell and, and uh, uh, you know, and some of these other guys that have left at, at the tackle spots, um, Calvin Throckmorton. Um, and it just never took place. And I think it was interesting. He was never in the discussion for it. And that kind of led you to believe like something has to be amiss. And I know we had the injuries and you just kind of were wondering, and clearly these injuries were, more, were maybe more significant than we understood. And, and I think this one is, this one hurts a great deal in terms of the long-term pos- of this position and, and trying to figure out kind of who the next wave is after this, this veteran group that comes back in 2021. And I know there's obviously a ton of really, really talented young linemen, and including King- Kingsley Sumataya, who's on campus now and who, uh, you know, I, by all accounts is really highly regarded and, and going to be a great player. And I'm not saying they're, they're going to have issues on the offensive line or an offensive tackle and that Jonah kind of throws all the plans off, but, it certainly is uh, disappointing when, when when you sign and bring in a kid of this caliber and he doesn't pan out. And I'm sure it's really disappointing for Jonah and his family 
Um, this is somebody who, you know, based upon his recruiting ranking, a top 65 recruit nationally, you know, has professional aspirations in football and to not even get a chance to really build towards that in college is just, sucks. it sucks. There's no other way to say it. It sucks. So uh, feel for Jonah and his family and, and you know, and, and just because he came in with, with kind of the hope of, of like Matt says, of being something really special for the Oregon and the fact that he didn't get to do that because of injury is something out of his control. It's just a bummer. Now, one of the other big pieces of news came at the running back spot. Oregon head coach Mark Cristobal announced that Sean Dollars was not going to be able to practice during spring ball and was not going to be able to go through offseason workouts in the summertime because he has suffered a significant injury. And this kind of segues over into our next topic. We're going to talk about the offensive line. We're going to talk about the, you know, the running back position where spring ball is typically a time where you can experiment with guys at different positions. You can experiment. Hey, like we're going to try running with two running backs in the offense, see what that looks like. Um, And kind of you hone in a little bit on your main guys and your starters and, and kind of getting them, you know, better. Uh, obviously, but it's also an opportunity for younger guys to get a lot of reps. And this felt like a huge spring for Sean Dollars. And we'll also discuss along the offensive line too, but Dollars is now unavailable for spring practice. He's unavailable for off-season training because of a significant injury. And because Cardwell and Seven McGee aren't here for spring ball, um, and the fact that Cyrus Abilakio has transferred out of the program, Oregon only has two scholarship running backs that are healthy. Because remember, Trey Benson broke his leg during the season. Yep. And he is somewhat back, but he's not going to be participating in, you know, real anything on field during practice for from an Oregon spring perspective. Um, he's not there yet. And so an opportunity for Oregon's younger running backs to get a lot of uh, the workload in spring has now been completely wiped out because McGee and Cardwell aren't here. Benson was already hurt. And now Sean Dollars, probably the, the guy third on the list to have the best chance at, at playing in 2021 is also out with some kind of injury, uh, leg injury. And Cristobal said he'll get back at some point during the 2021 football season, but you're now left with CJ Verdell, who is healthy and back, Good and news. Travis Dye, and then walk on cross, cross Patton. And you know what you have in Verdell. You know what you have in Dye. And, and typically in spring, they really limit the workload that both those two guys take because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to wear out the tires, if you will, when there's no game to prepare for. And so you can look at it two different ways. One, Oregon's in a hole now at running back because they're going to have to they're going to have to have their their veteran guys do a bunch of the work workload, um, and and obviously they're going to be fine for the season. But that just ups up the possibility of an injury or or something happens there. Or you could look at it a half glass full where, hey, this is a huge opportunity for Cross Patton, who coaches have said a couple different times that. Hey, he passed up FCS offers to come walk on at Oregon. This is probably going to be Cross Patton's best opportunity in his career at Oregon to make a run at some playing time. 
No kidding. No kidding. And it's, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's kind of, there's some irony to the fact that you see like a Cyrus to be transfer out for lack of playing time. And I'm not criticizing Cyrus at all. Cause I, we've said it before. We love Cyrus. He's a great player. I thought he obviously wanted to work, you know, finish his career as a duck, but moved on to Boise state because the playing time just wasn't really available. And if he would have stuck around, you know, this spring and, I, and I'm not faulting him because getting, you know, when you get into the fall and he, he was never going to be better than third fiddle, probably as, you know, as long as Verdell and, and Dyer are available. So I understand it. And some of these younger guys are talented too, but to go from a, a backfield that was crowded enough that you saw both he and um, Javon Wilson transfer out before spring ball, just because of lack of opportunity to see it where it is now is it's, it's kind of just, it's wild. It's, it's, it's definitely not the intended outcome of how this plays out. And I think, yeah, I mean, Matt, Matt's right. There's a couple ways to look at this. Um, a, you know, spring is the time for solidifying rotations and for, I think, especially for younger players, some development. And we already know who Verdell and Die are. In fact, those listening are like kind of probably like, we really know who those guys are. We'd like to see some of these younger guys get an opportunity. And for that not to be a case this spring is, is, is disappointing. That stinks. Um, especially a player like Sean Dollars, who everybody is really excited about and intrigued by. The fact that he's not going to be available for spring and that he doesn't sound like he's going to be available for summer. And Cristobal is saying he'll get back sometime during the season. Um, we don't know the exact specifics of the injury because Mario didn't you know, offer that. But you kind of wonder of like, is this, a, is this injury serious enough that we're, he's really going to be available? And if he's not available this season, and I know Trey Benson is working his way back from a broken leg and won't be available for spring either, you know, what's the hierarchy going to be? I mean, it, it, I think it goes from a thing where we were thinking it was probably going to be Dollars or Benson probably as running back number three, probably Dollars being the primary guy there, to being like maybe Cardwell and McGee really have a chance to play a fair amount this fall just because – of injuries, um, you know, and, and then there's a lot of, you know, dominoes that need to fall. We need to learn a little bit more about both dollars and Benson's availability long-term, but I think that part is interesting. And then, yeah, the cross patent part is a, you know, a walk on. And, um, you know, I think you, when you hear his name, you probably just go, well, they brought him in cause his, his dad's big boy, the, you know, the rapper from outcast and, and he's kind of comes with some, you know, celebrity, uh, you know, just, I'll just use the word. He comes with some celebrity because his family, you know, there is some celebrity there, but he will now have a legitimate chance in practice now to get second and third team reps. And Hey, you know, as Matt and I, you know, we, we're not going to be in, and I think we mentioned this on previous podcasts, but it bears repeating. We're not at practice for the first time for spring in a, a while, just because of COVID protocols in the past, we'd been in there and we'd be able to watch and see how, the production is and see what the rotations at running back are typically though in spring, like Matt says, it, it's, you know, Verdell and die don't get every first and second team rep. They spread those out last spring. I don't even know if Verdell really got any first team reps. In those no, he, he was very, he was always, he would always do like the individual drills, but when they would go 11 on 11, he was hardly ever out there just because they, they were protecting him and they knew what they had, you know, and, and they don't have that now. You don't have that luxury of quote unquote protecting him. And you just wonder of what, you know, this is a, and this would be a question to ask, you know, coach Cristobal throughout camp and, and probably repeat on, on Saturday during his time there of like, assuming he's speaking, cause we don't have all the specifics. I think he will be, but we're not sure. But you know, the, the next time we speak with them of just like, how challenging is this rotation of trying to balance, you know, you want to get Verdell and die reps so that they, you know, they can 
also continue to improve, but also protecting them from a health perspective. What's the bet, you know, the bonus, you know, the, the balance there. And, you know, it's not just from those to, in the running backs perspective, but it's also, you want to make sure you put, you know, some quality running back play out there in scrimmage situations for the defense too. Um, and for the offensive line, you know, or else you're going to be in a spot where you've got walk-ons, you know, carrying the ball in, in scrimmage situations. And that's maybe not the most beneficial way for live reps to be held right. during spring for anybody, you know, you know, linebackers, you know, defensive line, et cetera, you know, in one-on-one -on -one situations, you know, even in practice, you know, usually you'd have, you know, <laughs> dollars and Benson going against guys like Leduke and Flo or Adrian Jackson. And now you're going to have cross pat. And I mean, I'm not saying this is like, going to completely unravel everything but there, are, there is going to be i think just the lack of depth at running back is significant now um it's good you have your two main guys but again <laughs> with a guy like Verdell and his health you just kind of go how much do you really want to how much you know he's already a guy who doesn't have necessarily a lot of tread on his tires you know how much more do you want to work him so i this is i think this is pretty significant you know i think of all of the injury retirement news we learned on thursday I think the one, you know, the stuff that stands out the most is that they don't have dollars or Benson for spring. And with the two true freshmen not enrolled quite yet, it's really just two scholarship guys and some walk-ons. And that's not ideal for anybody for spring practice. There's no doubt about that. Along the offensive line now with all the, the retirements, I mean, two guys are now retired. We also know a couple other guys are dealing with injuries. Um, Cristobal said that Sala Omave Lalu is still recovering from an injury he suffered in the USC game in the Pac-12 championship. Um, we also know that uh, Jalen Jeffers, a freshman from the 2020 class, he is also dealing with an injury. He said he's almost all the way back. Um, but the problem is, is, they're not certain yet if they want to throw him out there for spring ball and risk him re-injuring himself. And he said they may just keep him out of, you know, the full contact stuff. They'll do individual work with him, but, you know, they, they may never just – they may not allow him all, all spring to be out there during the 11-on-11 or the, you know, the front seven type work that they do, which is going to be, you know, something to, to track there. Um but he also, you know, highlighted guys like it's it's the time now for uh, sophomore offensive lineman Dawson Jaramillo, you know, a guy that's played one year of football since he arrived in 2018. Um, he is a super sophomore. He is a former four-star recruit, had a ton of interest from colleges all over the country, from Lake Oswego in Portland, Um it, he, he highlighted Dawson saying like, Hey, this is his time. He needs to step up. It's, it's his opportunity to, you know, really work himself into the rotation. Um, he really praised Alex Forsyth as well. Um, George Moore and Stephen Jones, two other guys at the tackle spots. Uh, and he also brought up uh, Logan Sagapalu and Kingsley Salmatia as two of the younger, other younger players who are going to have an opportunity now to play uh, and get their rotations in. And it's going to be a critical spring because you've got a couple guys now out. You've got a couple guys nursing injuries that aren't practicing right now. And, and if you're one of these younger offensive linemen and you want to make a push into that too deep, this is probably one of your best chances to do that. Yeah, no question. And that's, 
you know, and, and, and this is one, okay, like, so running back, I go, oh, man, the, these injuries might be kind of a net negative long term just because there's nobody really to benefit from these from the opportunity right you mean like cross patent is one thing and, and like sure that's great for him but i mean i think big picture you'd like to see a couple of scholarship guys who you have long-term plans be the ones who are beneficiaries and i hate saying beneficiaries of injuries but at least of, of practice reps of getting expended practice reps you'd like that to be you know young players that maybe wouldn't otherwise get them that that, that could actually help you down the line i'm not suggesting Patton can at running back but he's certainly further down the pecking order on the offensive line it is maybe actually not a terrible thing to have some of these guys not available for a little bit. And, and, I, and I'm not saying, gosh, these guys are done developing, et cetera. But, I mean, there's some real opportunity now for a guy like a Kingsley Sumatia to maybe, maybe get some first or second team reps quicker than we thought. And, you know, Matt and I have already singled him out as somebody who we think could push to start at one of the tackle positions, probably left tackle. Um, could be somebody, you know, at the very least we think is going to be in the rotation, getting some reps. And, you know, if we still continue to do, you know, if Cristobal and Mirabal can continue with the kind of musical chairs rotating through six, seven guys on the offensive line, certainly someone we think could be in that conversation, a spring where he gets more opportunity in part because of some of these, you know, some of this, especially with Sala, who's a, you know, right guard, right tackle, but that, you know, the ripple effect there is significant. This could provide some more opportunity for some of the guys Matt mentioned, and I think Kingsley is probably the one that comes to mind just because of the re- the recruiting, you know, aspect and you know everything we've heard about how talented he is. Um, this one might be not, you know, I mean, again, I don't want to say it's a net positive when players are hurt and unavailable, but this one has a little different feel than running back, where you do have some some young players, and like he, you know, Matt said, Logan Sagapulu is another player who I think we think has some upside, and we think could be if not in 2021 in 2022 somebody once you know the Alex Forsyth and Ryan Wax and TJ Basses in theory kind of finish out their eligibility could be someone who could push to play and start in 2022 and now he's getting a spring where maybe his opportunities a little bit enhanced so um, two two positions where you've got significant injuries to players and you're missing some key guys but i think a little bit different in terms of what the ripple effect feels like, at least from an outsider's perspective. And again, we're not at practice, so we don't get to see how the reps are being distributed yet. But, you know, my sense is if you've got the depth and the young talent, like you do on the offensive line, that's available in spring to, to get some more reps with the first and second team, you know, that doesn't hurt. Whereas at running back, you just kind of wish you had some of these younger guys to at least be the beneficiaries of it. And again, it's not to say that Verdell and Dye and, and Cross Patton couldn't use some more opportunity, but you would have liked to have that maybe distributed a little differently if spring could be constructed a little differently. Whereas at the off, you know, on the offensive line, you have that benefit of having some of these guys on campus already. Other items of, of note during the spring practice period with, with Mario Cristobal was the quarterbacks. And obviously, like, look, we probably buried the lead here. This is what everyone's the most interested and finding out um, when spring ball opened up with Tyler Shuck leaving Anthony Brown, the, the one upperclassman on this stat on this program at, at quarterback. Um, and then you've got three freshmen that are scholarship guys. One of them is true freshman Ty Thompson, who just four months ago wrapped up his call, his high school career and enrolled early. And the other two, Jay Butterfield, 
and Robbie Ashford, two other four-star quarterbacks um, that were highly decorated coming out of the 2020 class that were on the team last year um, and will still be true freshmen because of the NCAA eligibility waiver. Um, Ashford, you know, this is Ashford's day on Thursday. Wake up, yeah. <laughs> go yep. to practice for football, condu- you know, have an impressive showing according to Mark Cristobal, get some lunch, do a probably a little bit of schoolwork, and then get over to PK Park and be a regular contributor for the top 25 baseball program. I mean, he's he's practicing in the morning for baseball or for football, playing in games for baseball. Uh, Cristobal noted that, you know, as his time requirements have gone up, um, because he's he's double dipping right now for football and baseball, his GPA has actually gone up. Uh, and, Impressive and he, right there. Yeah, he, he said that it, there's some parallels that always happen when guys, you know, their commitment to the sport go in and go up, um, whether it's one sport or two, that kind of forces them to focus even more on their academics. And he said, typically the GPA also follows suit with that. And we're seeing that with, with Robbie Ashford, which is pretty impressive. Um, it's going to be interesting to see this play out. I, I think that one of the biggest things that I took away from what crystal ball said when he was discussing the quarterbacks and look like I wasn't going to ask, Hey, how's this guy looking? You know, how is Ty Thompson looking? Because he Thursday was the first practice that Oregon ever had with Ty Thompson watching him spin the football. Now I was more curious about where is the development of Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford, because they've been in the program for over a year now. Um, what, where are they from when, you know, they showed up and I, I phrased it as like, it felt a lot like from outside the program with the fan base and also with the media, everyone is just clobbering all over Ty Thompson. And I understand why, but I mean, he's the highest rated commit in program history at the quarterback spot. Okay. But it, he's also, I don't view him as like, he's not like a top 10 player in the country, regardless of position. He's very, very good, but I don't view him as the automatic starter. And it feels a lot like people are just kind of pushing past the competition aspect and anointing him that. And so I asked Cristobal, like it, it kind of feels like Jay Butterfield, a guy who had the same vibes from the fan base just a year ago when he was being recruited is kind of flying under the radar. And where is he at in his development? And this is what Cristobal said. Jay is certainly not flying under the radar in practice. He's doing a great job. He's talented. He's a big guy. When we recruited him, he was really thin and the weight room has really paid off for him. It's impressive to watch him throw the football with such ease. He's a guy that can throw the ball from the hash to the opposite outside number not many guys can do that. And Cristobal, you know, talked about Ashford. He talked a little bit about Ty Thompson saying he looks the part. We knew that when he was coming in, um, he hasn't disappointed as far as being competitive. Um, and ended it with saying that if today was any indication of what we're going to be like, it's an exciting time for Oregon. These guys did a good job. They were very competitive from an overall quarterback standpoint. I think what really stood out to me, Eric, was this time last year, Cristobal was adamant that Tyler Shuck was the starter. Sure was. What was 
adamant he was QB1. And Crystal Ball mentioned guys know where they are in the depth chart. Guys know what they need to do to move up the depth chart. Guys need, you know, understand their roles. And if they want to improve and have bigger roles, this is what they, you know, they need to do to get better. And, and he never once, though, came out and said, hey, Anthony Brown is the quarterback number one right now. He's taking the reps with the ones. And then we're rotating in, you know, Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, Robbie Ashford, in whatever order you want. Uh, or, you know, maybe someone else is at, at one. You know, he didn't, he didn't mention any of that, which I thought was very interesting because last year at this time, it was like he was going out of his way to hammer home Shuck was QB1. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. And I think first off, part of me thinks Cristobal, because of the COVID protocols, because media doesn't get to go watch practice, has allotted himself the ability to kind of well, – they, they can control the information here. Um, in the past, we, Matt and I would be at practice, and we could tell you who QB1 was. And we could tell you to a certain extent what the – distribution of reps looked like at least when they would do their first 30 minutes and of course we missed a lot of practice we only caught probably a little maybe about a third of what they did each day but we could at least give you a decent snapshot of like Tyler Shuck seems to be getting all the first team reps and I think it would be hard for Cristobal with a straight face to suggest otherwise when we were in there watching we don't have that opportunity this year and so Cristobal doesn't have to say who's getting the first team reps because there's not really we can't really fact check him on that we can't really say, well, you're saying Anthony Brown's getting the first team reps. So we just watched practice and it looked like Ty Thompson sure was getting first team reps. So I think that's part of it. And I think, but I think the other thing that I think they've learned from last year was that it might've been a little problematic, the timing of anointing Tyler that while maybe really good for Tyler, maybe put them in a tough spot of, Hey, we kind of insinuated this guy was the big picture, long-term guy before Anthony Brown really showed up and had a chance to fight for this job. And because of that, when fall camp starts and we've discussed for months and months and months that Tyler Shuck is the number one quarterback and he's our starter. You know, he, I think the line was, he's our starter entering spring. He's a starter after spring. It was pretty clear what the hierarchy looked like. It was kind of hard to argue that and you right. get into fall and it's kind of probably to a certain extent for Anthony and for Tyler, it's, it's pretty clear what it looks like. And, and not only do they know, but we know, and everybody around the program knows. And the expectation is if, you know, you're at a barbecue during the summer and you're talking about Oregon football, you're going, you know, and you saw the quote, you're going, well, it sounds like Tyler Shuck is going to be the quarterback. Look what they're saying. Well, that might not have been a great thing because maybe they got into, you know, this is sort of hypothetical here. I mean, kind of me kind of, you know, sort of trying to maybe draw some conclusions here that, you know, maybe not, maybe not entirely fair. This isn't like fully sourced, but maybe part of me wonders like, Hey, you get into fall and you go, maybe we shouldn't have been so, de you know, definitive about saying that about Tyler. Cause actually Tyler and Anthony look pretty close and maybe actually Anthony gives us a better shot to win games, but and I'm not saying they couldn't go back on that, but I think maybe that goes into the thought process of here of like, we don't want to suggest like Anthony Brown is our starter right now this early because last year we did that and last year that made you know kind of backed us into a corner a bit of like we had to sort of stick with Tyler Shuck because that was what we said was the case all year um you know and I know a lot more goes into it but I think this was just very careful on his part and I don't expect we'll have a real clear idea you know aside from maybe what we hear from players and assistant coaches of kind of what this position battle looks like until we get to the spring game until we and you know and depending on how the spring game is set up we might not have a total idea either you know i mean if it's going to be ones versus twos or something like that it will be pretty clear like okay well this guy's getting the first team reps but 
we might not have a, 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 as quite as clear of an indication of what this looks like as early than what we had last year. And hopefully by fall camp practices are, re, you know, are open again and Matt and I are both to be in there and, and watching and, and, and drawing some, some more detailed conclusions from it. But right now um, we're kind of having to take what Cristobal says, you know, at his word, you know, reading some like Rob Mosley does get practice access. So you can go read his daily practice reports, but we should note that Rob is a university of Oregon employee. And I'm guessing if Christ, Cristobal doesn't want much information out there about who the quarterback's going to be, Rob's probably not going to report it. We, we, you know, we love Rob Mosley. He's a great guy. I'm just saying, but like, it's part of his job. Like he, he has a slightly different job than our job. So um, I think the information that's available about the quarterback position is clearly going to be a little different this spring and going into the fall than it has been in the past. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, um, but it's going to maybe leave us sort of wondering a little bit about kind of really what what's going on with that group in a way that I think in past years wouldn't be the case. And that kind of stinks because this is maybe the most exciting and most intriguing um, quarterback position battle we've had in the spring um, for boy, like maybe over a decade. There's going to be, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see this play out over the spring and into the summer. I don't think we're going to ever find out where everyone sits going into uh, summer offseason training. Like, I, I'll be shocked if Cristobal comes out and says, hey, Anthony Brown's our starting quarterback, or hey, Jay Butterfield won the job. Like, like I'll, I'll be pretty surprised if that actually happens. Um, other positions of note, tight end is one in which there weren't a lot of bodies during the 2020 football season, and now that there are a lot. Uh, DJ Johnson, Crystal Ball, you know, cited as someone who, who performed well the day one. Um, he noted Spencer Webb and Patrick Herbert, two guys who missed all of 2020 because of injuries are healthy and available and on the, on the field. He said Cam McCormick, he didn't say if Cam McCormick was practicing, but he said he's progressing and they're optimistic. But I don't, you know, the, he hasn't played since the first game of the 2017 season because of injuries. Um, at this point, you just hope that McCormick can get on the field in some capacity. Terrence Ferguson and Batavo are also on campus and are, with the team. So you look at this and, you know, tight end is a position where Eric, like we don't really know where it was going to go. I was trying to ask Cristobal that question, um, but because of zoom and because of COVID interviews are all wacky right now. And um, it, we have to wait our turn. And, you know, I, I, it was not the most important question. So I was waiting to ask it towards the second half of the, of the press conference and, you know, I was thinking we'd get 30 minutes and we got more like 15, 18 minutes with crystal ball. Um, so that's when we're going to have to ask again, just his thoughts on just the fluidity of the tight end position. But for the first time in a couple of years, they're going to have more than two tight ends available um, for spring or for, for the season because of injuries and guys now being healthy again, which is pretty big. And it's a huge opportunity for, you know, Webb and, and Herbert in particular, because I feel really good about DJ playing mm -hmm. during the 2021 season. Um, and as crazy as it sounds, Eric, it kind of feels like Webb and to an extent Herbert, both those guys, like if they're not careful and Ferguson and, and Matavo both come in and, and maybe are a little bit further along than expected, like 
Webb and Herbert could get passed up. I don't, I don't think that's ridiculous to consider. Um, the development those guys have had, how much of the injuries impacted them, I think is a thing I would wonder. Um, a player like, I mean, I think Spencer Webb, we've seen on the field at least kind of what the promise could look like. And I think there's certainly a large contingent of the fan base that I've spoken with that, you know, that, that, and, and we see on duckterritory.com on the message board that really think Spencer Webb has, has some big time talents. And I, I don't disagree. Physically, he's really impressive. I mean, as a pass catcher, the dude can do all sorts of things. But, you know, there's, you know, there's more to just the position of catching passes that was notable that during his season where he was most impactful in 2019, a lot of that was done spread out wide and not attached to the line of scrimmage because he's not a particularly good blocker um, or wasn't before. How, how much has he improved there? Um, and if he hasn't improved, who on the, on the roster is, hasn't, you know, who, who on the roster, I guess, is further along in that area. And, and does that impact the, the rotations? Because I don't doubt Spencer Webb as a pass catcher for a minute. Like I think, probably pound for pound one of your more talented guys on the team in that regard um and has shown that in the past so like i don't doubt he can do that but if he can't block and if let's say one of these freshmen come in more prepared to do that or let's say patrick herbert who i think is a huge mystery right now like you i mean this tight end position group is as matt said like you got dj johnson i think we all feel pretty good based upon what he did in 2020 that he can replicate that and you know, in 2021, and if, if no one else steps up and challenges him, he can be a really, really good starting tight end. I feel pretty confident saying that. We saw that in a, you know, in, in a small sample size last year in a couple of games, he was really impressive. So, like, I don't doubt for a second that he can do that again. But what does this group look like after that? I don't think we really know much about the other, you know, the, the other contenders for this position just because you've got Webb and Herbert and McCormick who haven't been healthy for a while. And, um, you know, we should know with McCormick, Cristobal didn't say he's full speed. He just said he was optimistic, which to me is, I mean, honestly, Matt, were you not kind of when, when Cristobal says we've got three medical retirements and he doesn't say the names yet, was your instinct not like Cam McCormick might be one of these guys? Oh yeah. I was hundred percent expecting it. I mean, just, just because of his career. I mean, the guy's missed three straight years. So, uh, I mean, again, good on him for continuing to try to play. I, I hope, I really hope he gets a shot. I mean, that's a great story if he does just everything he's been through from an injury perspective. Um, but like, I don't think we can count on him. So you look at the other guys and you've got Webb and Herbert who we haven't seen in a couple of years and, you know, and, and you've got, and Herbert, we haven't really seen it at all. And then you've got a couple of true freshmen. So um, you're right though. I think that these true freshmen are here. They are clearly talented players. I think the second and fourth best tight end recruits organs ever signed. And there's going to be some opportunity on that second line there. And, and maybe even, you know, maybe even DJ Johnson, maybe we're too far ahead and saying he's, you know, the number one guy by, um, uh, you know, significant enough margin to say he's the starter. Maybe, the, you know, there's probably going to be a legit, you know, an opportunity for those two guys and a Spencer Webb and maybe a Patrick Herbert to push for it. So like it, uh, Matt, is there of those, of these guys, the four ones, you know, we've mentioned DJ Johnson and somebody we kind of know, like, is there of the other four? And I'm not including McCormick either of, of the, but of the Webb, Herbert, Matavajo, Ferguson group, like, is there a guy there that you think has the highest upside or, or kind of how do you perceive those group? Because I think it's kind of hard to really know what Oregon has from that group. I think we think there's a lot of talent there, but it's just so unproven right now. I'm with you. It's hard to to really hammer home among those four guys. Like part of me says Spencer Webb because as a redshirt freshman during the 2019 season, I mean, he had 18 catches, 209 yards and 
uh, I think he had three touchdowns um, and he was impressive in a very limited series and had to play out of position. And I felt like he was a guy that, you know, was, was poised to maybe be the tight end for Oregon in 2020. And then he broke his collarbone and couldn't play. Um, Part of me also says the guy with the most ceiling is Patrick Herbert. I mean, I, I still remember that, I was talking with, uh, you know, someone around the Sheldon program um, and then a second person who was at Oregon and they told me like he's Patrick Herbert is by far the best athlete of the Herbert group has the highest ceiling of the, of the three brothers that played football at Sheldon. And, you know, the oldest brother was, I think a FCS all American level guy at receiver Justin ended up being what, like the sixth pick in the NFL draft rookie of the year. Pretty good. Um, And now there's Patrick. And so like part of me also looks at Patrick, but then I also pop in the film of, of guys like Ferguson and Matavo, especially Matavo. And I look at that and think like sky's the limit for, for them. And so if Oregon can't get one of these four guys to, be a multi-year starter and an all-conference, you know, caliber guy. Something went wrong. That's how I look at this group. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, I think the uh, the reality is you should there should be optimism just in terms of the fact that there are a lot of candidates. You know, and and of course you could say, well, I mean, quantity over quality probably doesn't make sense in terms of like defining the the candidacy pool because you can have a lot of you can have a lot of candidates, but none of them are very good. They don't feel then you don't feel very optimistic about it. But like this group does have Spencer Webb and Patrick Herbert are clearly talented guys who, who've been around for a minute. And then you've got the two newcomers. I feel like between those four guys and DJ Johnson, you're going to have three, maybe four quality tight ends available in 2021, which is, I mean, you think back to 2020, how dire that was. I mean, they were playing, um, they're playing walk-ons. Yeah. <laughs> Cooper Schultz was, was, you know, a, a true freshman walk-on from I think Jesuit or central Catholic, one of those Portland, area schools and he was brought in basically like probably thinking he was he was maybe maybe going to help in practices and be like a fifth team tight end in practice and he's out there you know playing snaps against stanford and against um, washington state before hunter Cantmar gets back because it's just dj johnson um you know even some of the other walk-on tight ends were unavailable at times so you know this group is going to be better and i think i do kind of wonder a little bit about the offense last year and i'm not saying the absence that tight end plays a massive role but um and i'm also not going to suggest that like the pr- production that camp and johnson pr- provided was poor or anything but i mean i do kind of wonder like this is a group that was about as banged up as you could be i mean you have one or two scholarship guys all season basically it's kind of it's challenging to expect it's challenging to expect them to to perform at that high of a level like how much better can joe moorhead's offense be with a full complement of tight ends and Right. some versatility at tight end of like, Hey, this guy, X, Y, and Z, you know, they're, this guy's better as a blocker. This guy's a better overall tight end. This guy's a better receiving tight end. And you can mix and match and actually kind of, you know, from a personnel perspective, get creative, which is a thing you can do when you have more bodies available. And you see them do that at receiver and running back all the time. Um, you know, even at quarterback last year, right. I mean, they, they, they answered Anthony Brown into some situations they like clearly Joe Moorhead's not opposed to that. And Cristobal, I remember, even even on Thursday said, you know, we want to try to find roles for everybody on this team. You know, part of me thinks, hey, having, you know, four, three to four of, of these tight ends being available and, and, and at least be capable 
could be kind of significant in terms of how this offense looks and maybe overlooked last year was the fact that they were really sort of hand, hamstrung and, and kind of had a hand, you know, one hand tied behind their back, to, so to speak, at the position just because no one was really available. And, and maybe we're going to see the tight end be even more instrumental and, and see Joe Moorhead's offense take off because of it in a way that maybe we, we kind of missed out on in 2020. I think that part can't totally be overlooked either. Defensively, on the on that side of the football, um, didn't glean much from you know Chris Ball outside of hey you know he said Michael Wright stood out. We also knew that Verone McKinley has stood out. Um, he 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 referenced a couple other guys that have done well. We do have some positional news. Um, Brian Anderson, uh, Anderson Brian Addison, excuse me. He is playing strictly defense right now. So he is a six foot five cornerback. Um, don't see that very often. Uh, no. Really, really big news there from a receiver standpoint that they're choosing to keep him on the defensive side of the football. Um, Cristobal also noted that uh, five star linebacker Justin Flo is back. Um, Dante Manning is also back from their injuries. So that's. Real positive news as well. Um, Jackson LeDuc is pretty close. He was a guy that was you know, going to have a ton of attention on him last year, and then he got injured. So from a defensive standpoint, uh, Addison staying with the defense and Dante Manning and uh, Justin Flo, two five-star freshmen that didn't play during the 2020 season um, more than one game each are back at the field and ready to go for, for Oregon, which is good news as well. Yeah, and Adrian Jackson, another player, Cristobal said was full speed. Um, with Flo, he said, I think, full participant in two weeks, but he's doing everything else besides full contact. Right. Um, Jalen Smith, he said, was defense too. And I think Jalen Smith is also out right now, so that doesn't really impact things at the moment. But that was – we kind of wondered. He played offensive line last year after being recruited to play defensive line. We kind of wondered exactly where his – I mean, I think Cristobal had even said at the time, like his long-term future was going to be at defensive line, but we, you know, you never know. I mean, he spent a full year working with the offensive line. Maybe he ends up being such a good guard or tackle prospect that you, that you keep him there. And clearly they still like him on defense. So that was kind of a, I mean, that's pretty down, far down the line of, of things of importance because he's someone you're probably not going to get much impact from in 2021, regardless of what, where he is on the, on the field. But um, having flow and Manning and, and, Adrian Jackson and, and Matt, as Matt said, Jackson LaDuke, another freshman that, that's pretty highly regarded. Having all these young guys kind of getting healthy is pretty significant because they, you know, you think about the depth last year at linebacker, especially on the inside, where you had to play some walk-ons in some games and not just play them a little bit, but play them quite a bit. And that was in part because of the fact that you had Jackson and, you know, and LaDuke and Flo all unavailable for large parts of the season, basically the entire I don't know, second half of the season, you know, for those guys. So that I think is significant. I think the Brian Addison part, like this is a, I, I did a story on, on five guys and you can check this out on duckturdy.com. I think it was on, on Monday or Tuesday. You did a story of five guys. This is kind of a make or break camp for, right. And Brian Addison was one of your choices. And I think probably like the top choice in my mind, like he's the guy I would think of just because, I think people forget he was a top 100 recruit. And when, when he flipped from, he signed with. It was UCLA, a big deal. We Yeah. He flipped from UCLA to Oregon right before um, fall camp back in 2019. Um, 
that was really huge. That was a really big deal. That was like, a, oh my gosh, this guy's a huge, a big time prospect and he's going to make a big impact. And he was somewhat impactful at wide receiver. And we should know, like when he was brought in, it was as an athlete and he, they was going to, he split time between defensive back and wide receiver and pretty quickly they figured his, you know, I think in part because of injury too, that wide receiver was where he fit. And I think because they brought in so much talent at receiver and because he was having a harder time getting on the field. And it was pretty clear that Devin Williams and Micah Pittman had kind of surpassed him. They moved him over to defense and cornerback. And we've talked about this position group. It's one of those group position groups where you have, you've lost some guys and you need to find some, some, some quality replacements. And I think the fact that he's playing on that side fully right now is not insignificant. And I think, you know, he's only a sophomore in terms of eligibility. He's got some time here, even though he's, a, I think, what, like a third-year sophomore, fourth-year sophomore maybe. Um, he's got some time here to, to, to carve something out. And you hope maybe a position change is what is required here. And the idea of, like, let's say he, let's say he doesn't even play a ton, you know, between the 20s. But when you get in the red zone, having a guy with that size and some movement skills on the outside um, – against other big receivers, like that could be something that's pretty beneficial. Um, you know, I'd be very curious to see kind of what his, I'd like to see, I mean, this is one of those things where I just would like to see him in practice, see how he moves, you know, and, and, and kind of assess whether or not this is, it's realistic to think he could be a starter or one of their two to three best corners this year. Cause that's, I think legitimately, like we feel good about one and a half guys, or maybe we feel good about two guys, but we're not sure DJ James is a full-time starter yet. Maybe Brian Addison is somebody who we've kind of slept on. We've kind of talked a lot about, you know, it's maybe DJ James versus Dante Manning, and then you've got these true freshmen. Well, maybe Brian Addison is somebody we need to take seriously for that that other cornerback spot. And at six five, that is a, you know, you can't you can't teach height, and that would be a significant development if if Brian Addison winds up being somebody who you can actually play a lot. And again, from somebody who was such a highly regarded recruit. I think it'd be great to see him finally find a way to, to really contribute. And I know he did a little bit in 2019 at receiver, but you'd love to see him kind of continue to cement a role because I think he'd sort of lost out on some of that opportunity with the way other players developed at, at wide out. What happens now over the next 13 practices, and then we'll conclude with the 15th practice of, of spring, which is the spring game held May 1st. Uh, we will see that play out. We're going to have a ton of coverage on DuckTerritory.com. Our next opportunity to speak with someone, we don't really know who, um, and that's on Saturday afternoon um, or Saturday late morning when Oregon has their second of 15 total spring practices. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But um, ton of interest, ton of in, uh, intrigue, ton of information that we're gleaning from these press conferences and hopefully maybe down the road they open things up and we can actually get into practice. We'll see. Uh, it seems like a lot of other conference and teams within the conference are opening things up. Maybe that spills over to us here in the Eugene area with the Oregon Ducks. But until the next time we do a podcast, which will be next week, thank you for listening to this edition of the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.